The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. They do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show about God's truth in today's society from a multi-generational pastoral perspective. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of Aletheia Bible Fellowship's Project Vigilance, a web portal that provides internet Christians out there with helpful content and insights. We're produced by ABF's Vigilance Radio Network. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about us. At the top of the show today, let's remember to help us spread this content by liking, sharing, and subscribing to this episode. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and join our Facebook group where you can stay up to date on this and all our programming. You can find it at vrn.abf on Facebook. Now that all that's said, I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to our podcast this morning. This is Truth Time, and I am Pastor Monty. Today we're going to be talking about 1 Thessalonians. You might remember that we have been alternating between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're in the Old Testament in 1 Thessalonians this morning, and then we're going to talk about uh, submission and get uh, back on track on the subject of submission. So let's uh, get into 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5 in the Christ Sector. So we've been reading in 1 Thessalonians, we're up to chapter 5, and last uh, time that we talked about this, we were looking at the, uh, we were looking at uh, the second coming and the subject of the second coming, and let me read for you starting in chapter 5 here, um, what it is that it that uh, the Apostle Paul is addressing. And I have determined as I'm getting older that uh, I need to get a, a large letter Bible. Because <laughs> reading this small print's killing me. Um, chapter 5, verse 1. Now, I really don't need to write to you about how and when all of this will happen, talking about the uh, second coming of Christ. Uh, Dear brothers and sisters, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying all is well, everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall upon them as suddenly as a woman's birth pangs begin when her child is about to be born, and there will be no escape. 
But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief, for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and the night. So, be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be sober. Night is the time for sleep and the time when people get drunk. But let all who live in the light um, think clearly, protected by the uh, body armor of faith and love and wearing uh, as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God decided to save us through the Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us, he died for us so that we might live with him forever, whether we are dead or alive at the time of his return. So encourage each other and build uh, up each other just as you already are doing. So there's a couple of things uh, noteworthy here that we might look at as the Apostle Paul uh, addresses uh, the church at Thessalonica in regard to the second coming of the Lord. And one of the things that is noted here, a very important thing, is that the coming of our Lord should not catch us by surprise. Now, you may be saying to me, well, Pastor Monty, I mean, it's been 2,000 plus years since Jesus ascended. When is he coming? I mean, I, you know, people throughout the generations have said that he's coming. People have tried to guess the date that he's coming. So what's up with that? Where, you know, are, can we trust that this is true? And uh, my response to you would be, he is coming, and the church should not be surprised that he is coming. Well, we have indications in Scripture and we can allude to some of those. For example, if you read Matthew 28, is it 28? Yeah, yeah. All, of, all of it discourse. Yeah, uh, Matthew 28, the Lord himself talks about uh, some of the dynamics of uh, to be looking for in his second coming. But uh, we is it not... Ma maybe it's, I, I think it's Matthew 24. It's, yeah, anyway, I'll find it and post it. Are you, you there? Did I did I lose you? All right. Um, well, let's see. I'm gonna guess where he was going with this while producer Jasmine tries to tries to get him back. But in Matthew 24, we have something called the Olivet Discourse, and Jesus talks about basically the end times and what that is going to look like. Um, so let's just let's just pull it up and look at it real quick here um and he there's a lot of things it's from matthew 24 verses 1 through basically matthew 25 all right that's the sound of we're trying to get him back in here uh let's see it's spoken to the pharisees oh we're back there we go okay yeah. we got you gonna back be one of, gonna be one of those days huh <laughs> yeah, actually, we had we had like a total system failure over here. Um, we had to get a brand new router because our router was just dying. 
Um, and we've been having some issues setting that up, but you know, that's what happens when you add the element of a, of, you know, a, uh, internet to a live stream. So especially in a time of COVID where everybody's using the internet, you know, in a way that it was never meant, never set up to be used. So anyway, um, I was just about to explain the Olivet discourse, uh, but Jasmine got you back on. It's your show. Go for it. Well, okay, so what we were talking about is we're talking about the fact that Jesus does speak to this. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, though, that we are to be uh, vigilant. That, that first, of all, first of all, it should not catch us by surprise. So it is a, it is a, uh, a major piece of Christian doctrine that uh, the Lord is returning. Yeah. In, in 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul reiterates to the church there. Oh, interesting. Well, he reiterates to the church there that they should not be caught by surprise. <laughs> this is, this is going to be an interesting day. Uh, yeah, he reiterates to the church there that they shouldn't be caught by surprise. And that they need to be, um, they need to be vigilant. So let's take a look. Let's just take a look at that passage, actually. Uh, Matthew twenty-four. Let me pull it up. Matthew twenty-four. And I like to use a um, a website called Bible Hub, but there's a lot of good websites um, to use. I just like how it's laid out best. So let's see. NLT. I also like, personally, I like to use the NASB, um, but for the purposes of, like, ease, we usually use the NLT in our pew Bibles. So, anyway, so this is how it reads. Jesus told them, so this is Matthew 24, verse uh, 4 and on. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. That's very important. The end will not follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear. Um, I'm just reading Matthew 24. Um, many okay. false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. And we can, I mean, it goes on. The day is coming when you'll see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it would be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the time of calamity is shortened, not a single person would survive but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. If anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or okay, so, it just goes on and on. Yeah. 
So here Jesus, you know, specifically gives us some things that we can look for. Uh, the Apostle Paul reiterates that to the church at Thessalonica. Now here's the important thing to take away from that. It is that that um, as, as the body of Christ, if you are a disciple of Christ, you should not be, there are a couple of things you should not be surprised of. The first thing is, is you should not be surprised by all of the turmoil that is around us in the world today. Mm -hmm. Scripture indicates to us that uh, as the time of our Lord draws near, the world will become more and more chaotic as Satan seeks to uh, establish his rule. But that we should not be caught by surprise of that, nor should the coming of the Lord be a surprise to us. Because we are children of the light, because we live for him, we should act in such a way that we are always prepared for his return. But that... that... And that doesn't mean ahead, that, that doesn't mean that we can um, necessarily predict those things either. It's like that that's the flip well, side no, of it. No. no, and we should not be trying to predict. Jesus himself said that even he doesn't know the date of his return. Only the Father knows when he's to return. Yeah, I kind of think of that as how it would be ridiculous to know that somebody's pregnant and to not prepare for the pregnancy and then to be completely surprised when she gives birth. Um, I think that that would be ridiculous, but it would also be ridiculous for you to pretend that you know exactly the day or the hour when that's going to happen. Doctors don't even know that in this day and age with this technology. Yep. Yeah, it's true, you know, and, uh, a lot of times doctors, uh, older doctors not so much, but younger doctors sometimes they're surprised that their prediction uh, didn't come true. <laughs> right. You know, they're like, so So um, we should be aware. So my encouragement to you is that if you're a believer, then you should be aware. You should know, first of all, that the Lord is going to return. Secondly, you should be living in such a fashion that it not catch you by surprise. Right. Now, what does that really mean? Well, it means that you you have to understand that um, our position here as, as uh, disciples of Christ is that we recognize that we are sojourners and that we should not be uh, come too attached to the world that is around us. So we should divorce ourselves from, uh, you know, overt materialism. And we should, uh, you know, divorce ourselves from the, uh, from a lot of the drama that goes on in the world today. Right. Not, not, not that we, not that we can't involve ourselves. You know, you need to have a place to live. You need to be able to feed yourself, feed your family as you have responsibility to do so, but you need to be living with a perspective that, you know, the Lord is going to return, and all of these things that uh, we become attached to uh, in this life, they are going to be no more. And I can, I can tell you from experience, um, this, this may come as a surprise to many of you who know me, 
but uh, I'm not a materialistic guy. Okay. Yeah, you let that lie. I, I'm. Well, I just I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the point guy. you're making. That's all. Yeah, I I uh, I appreciate buying things that are quality, and I'm willing to spend the money for quality. But uh, I very much believe in um, what I would call planned obsolescence. Wait, that you the believe that in we that? Buy, or... Oh yeah, yeah. Planned obsolescence. No, yeah, that, that's yeah. not what I'm asking. I'm not asking if you believe it's a real thing. I'm asking, do you believe in 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 planned obsolescence, as you put it, like like you think it's a good thing? I don't think it's a good thing. I think that it is a part of our consumer society. Okay, so when you say I believe in it, I see. Just I'm just clarifying. Yes, yeah. I I mean I I recognize. You know, back in the day, when I was a young man, many years ago. Yes, many. If you if bought if you bought something. They uh, they lasted, depending on what you... I mean, it's it just high-quality stuff. Right. Now you buy stuff, and they they, uh, they they just fall apart within a couple of days oftentimes. Right, 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 right. Which is very frustrating. You know, when I, when I, uh, when I was young, back in the day, and I used to ride motorcycle, so my basic, uh, my basic attire was uh, jeans, flared jeans, preferably, uh, nice. jeans and, and boots mm -hmm. and t-shirt and gloves and a helmet. There you go. And and you'd buy you'd buy a pair of like Lee jeans or, or uh, Wrangler jeans mm -hmm. and a pair of jeans that last you four or five years. Mm -hmm. Now you buy a pair of jeans and you're lucky if you get uh, uh, two weeks out of them. So, uh, just sort of changing subjects, but trying to get back on back on track here. Um, so, in regard to First Thessalonians, do you? There are differing views about where this lies. You know, is this a reference to? Um, is this a reference to events to come still? Which clearly, by the way, you're talking it is. But um, can you? Can you touch on that? You know, are you aware that there's differing views, and what are what are your thoughts on that? Well, oh yeah, yeah. There, theologically, there are varying views about where the church is in regard to this. Um, you know, there's the, uh, you know, there's those who believe that the dispensationalists believe that that there's a, a point in time uh, where the church goes to different dispensations. Some people believe that uh, Christ has already come and that this isn't really relevant. Some people believe that he uh, has not come yet, but he's going to come. And we're talking, when, they, when you say that, come, uh, when you say come, you mean the second coming, right? That is correct. When do they think where the, the church is to meet him, where the church is to meet him and be taken uh, out of the sky, uh, out of the earth uh, into the heavens. Do you know how they justify that? That there was a second coming. You mean like it's already happened? Yeah, well, that's what you said. There are some people who think uh, second comings come, but how, I'm wondering no, how they justify I, that. I mean, I, 
I've I've heard the arguments, but uh, and I've listened to what they have to say, and I dismiss it. So, and what would you say is the connection between the Book of Revelation, um, you know, sort of chapter thirteen, like basically after you get past the first several chapters dealing with the churches, and we start looking at like the events, what would you say is the connection between First Thessalonians and the Book of Revelation? Well, First Thessalonians reminds us that the, the Apostle Paul believed that the church needed to be prepared for the for the return of the Lord, mm-hmm. and and that that and that we were to be vigilant and stay vigilant uh, as we near the end times. The Book of Revelation talks more about uh, some of the major events that are looking to happen um, prior to. Uh, the Lord's return, and uh, and then the uh, and then what happens in the heavens in regard to the millennial reign and the uh, throwing the lake of fire uh, into uh, you know destroying of a destroying of hell and the lake of fire. Um, so it, it it is more descriptive. Revelation is more descriptive of things that are going to happen. In the end time period, First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians both talk about the churches need to be prepared um, to be uh, vigilant in regard to the coming of the Lord. Would you say they're talking about the same time period? It's like I said, I know there's there's people who believe that we are in the thousand year reign right now. I'm not sure how they justify that. But they believe that we're in the thousand-year reign right now. Um, that well, the, I don't think they. I, I don't think they can justify it because there are very specific descriptors. When you look in the Book of Revelation, there are very specific descriptors about what that thousand-year reign looks like. And and for one, there will be no uh, Satan will not have the reign that he does today. Well, yeah, we have the, uh, you know, the, in Revelation chapter 13, there's the the mark of the beast, for instance. Um, I know people right now are, are really paying attention to uh, Dr. Fauci and, you know, what he's suggesting and um, information in regard to, or into how information is stored and, um, you know, some of the things that are being suggested about microchipping people and, subdermal type things. Um, yeah. And so like, but then I've heard others argue, well, that doesn't, that doesn't really apply because the mark of the beast is, you know, is the number of a man and it's, it's, you'd have to be pledging allegiance. And then on top of it, everything that takes place in revelations 13, um, you know, or the all of it discourse or Thessalonians, all of that, already took place when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD and like Nero was the beast and you know all of this stuff and and the, the mark of the beast refers to the same way that God um, has them put has the uh, ancient Israelites put scripture on their hand and their forehead and it's not an actual mark and all this and I'm wondering if there's if you have thoughts on that well as I study scripture what I understand is this is that first of all, uh, Christ has not returned yet, based upon my understanding of what takes place. Uh, the church needs to be prepared for his return, 
and we have a responsibility to be aware of the things that are going on around us as they pertain to his return. So, so for example, and I, I, the last time we talked about this, I made this example, but uh, I'll again reference it for those that might have forgotten that, uh, Josh, you were a thespian. You're aware of all the pre preparation that has to go on before the actual play takes place. That's right, troop number 75. The, that's right, or the event. And there's a lot of behind-the-scenes type of things that go on before the event is ready to be there. And a lot of what we see that is being alluded to has to do with the preparation of things to be in place for the Lord's return to be present. Right. And so we'd have you hear people talking about, for example, you allude to some concerns that people have about, you know, um, subdermal tracking and and having a, uh, you know, no longer having paper money, but having a uh, a uh, a currency. Yeah. Uh, that is uh, purely electronic. Right. Um, you know that there's a, you know that the, the, the United Nations right now, the UN is pushing the idea that uh, all currency should be done away with for a worldwide currency. We noticed that when people started to talk about the development of the EU, um, that in, in Europe, that you had 10 nations initially that were coming to uh, agree to having one currency uh, for the for all member nations, uh, and people thought about that. Um, we have uh, the, the development of the universal product code, which is developed on the numeric sequencing uh, involving 666, and some people feel that the universal product code represents that branding that's going to take place. What I would say is, is we have a lot of things which are in motion, and they're not, they're not uh, coordinated yet. But so, as a believer, what I try to do is to look at all of these things that are in motion, and and uh, take a note of it, but also understand that they have to be coordinated in such a fashion that they become a danger to Christ's church. Yeah, I well I think that that's that's the basic um that's the basic way the all of it discourse, you know, uh outlines outlines it, you know. And I think that's the whole purpose of like Thessalonians also is it it outlines it as Everybody is freaking out about these things, wars and rumors of wars and plagues and so on and so forth. It, and you'll think that the end is there, but it's not there. You know, that's that's yes. really that's really how all of this looks is that people are freaking out about all of these things. And Christ tells his people, um, Paul reiterates it, John touches on it too, like that's not the end. The end looks a very, very, very specific way. Um I have I have serious misgivings about um, Dominion theology and the idea that not that they're necessarily connected to each other, but oftentimes they are. 
that you know the that we are in the middle of the thousand year rule and and all of all of these things and i have real questions about um the the abomination of desolation sometimes the abomination of desecration that's talked about in daniel and the idea that nero was was the beast um and we'll see here we're not there yet but in a couple weeks when we get to the man of lawlessness um in the book of thessalonians we'll see um a character very similar to what has been commonly referred to as the antichrist in the book of revelation um and yeah, I just I don't see how those things could have happened yet, especially especially you no. know you you never see Jesus descending on the clouds that hasn't happened, um, you know we haven't seen the two prophets that are talked about in the Book of Revelation we haven't seen a one world anything and when you're talking about things being arranged a specific way I think you're right I think what we're seeing is a bunch of components um, that have organically tried to emerge over time. Um, whether it be a man of lawlessness or a technology of a one-world government or or one-world currency, these things have tried to emerge, and they have emerged in localized and limited ways. But we've never seen a universal uh, adaption with a cohesive narrative as has been presented in Scripture. So I think these things are yet to come. Um, but I do think what we see oh, is yeah. the engine revving before it actually turns on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I agree, Josh. I, yeah. I believe that these things are yet to come, but but I, for for the belief. So so back to the theme of what the Apostle Paul is saying in chapter five here. He's saying, look, these things should not catch you by surprise. Right. You should be aware of what's happening. So you know there are a lot of people in the church. It's unfortunate, but it's true. There are a lot of there. There are two phenomena that happen. Either you have um, people exhibiting the ostrich complex, sure, where they they stick their head in the sand and they don't want to deal with any of it because uh, out of sight, out of mind. Right. Or you have other people that are hyper uh, uh, on on either side of the swing of the pendulum. Yeah. And yeah. And what, what Scripture calls us to is, the, if you go back and look at the verbiage that the Apostle Paul uses, he says, be sober right. and, and vigilant. Some translations will use the word vigilant, which means be aware. Yeah. So be, be sober. Be not asleep. And be aware. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's what we're called to do. So yep. uh, as a, 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 as a believer, I think my responsibility is to uh, make myself aware of some things that are going on, be aware of what's going on uh, uh, politically, be aware of what's going on uh, internationally in particular, like what's going on with uh, Israel and the Palestinian area and all of the things that are going on there. Sure. And understand that, as I alluded to earlier, and you you confirmed, that um, I believe that we have a, a movement of a, of a lot of pieces which are not in place yet, but but when, they, uh, when the man of lawlessness does make an appearance, 
that uh, part of his function may well be to put these things into place. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, one of the things we've talked about briefly is that, um, and I've alluded to this before, I'll allude to it again, that when the when when President Obama was in place uh, for eight years, President Obama tried to downplay the influence of the United States and to try to make us subject to the the law of other nations. So he was putting in place things uh, surreptitiously through the United Nations to subjugate the United States to uh, Sharia law as is presented in the United Nations. When President Trump came into office, he put a stop to all that. But but uh, President uh, Obama moved, many people don't know this, but President Obama sought to move the uh, international line for for what is considered to be the jurisdiction of a nation. So the normal line is 12 miles out, and he sought to move that. He sought to, uh, and, and so now you hear proponents on the far left, you hear proponents putting forth the idea that really, uh, you know, people here today, uh, a lot of people don't understand how our stock market works. And a lot of people don't realize that there are stock markets all over the world. So, uh, you know, and so all of those stock markets have difficulty in dealing with the monetary crisis which is going on right now as uh, as the world is affected by this pandemic. And there are some people who are arguing that we need to reevaluate the worldwide understanding of currency uh, and at this point do away with uh, the dollar being the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the measurement that is used for the wealth of the world. There's a lot of stuff going on. And we need to be aware of that, but not overwhelmed by it, because all of these things need to fall in place before the Lord returns. Yeah. What we really need to do is just exactly what it says. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our, of our salvation. Um Encourage and skipping ahead. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. And I like, you know, um, I like as it goes down to verse 14 in his final advice, he says, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, to encourage those who are timid, to take tender care of those who are weak and to be patient with everyone. Um, right. It's just, it's a matter of living, you know, and I think a lot of people forget to live when they're thinking about everything that's happening. Everyone's holding their breath as if somehow they have control over these larger things. But the truth is, is that we never had that control to begin with. Um, you know, we're blessed that we have a modicum of control, a very, very small amount of control in America. You know, we're blessed to have, you know, um, a small amount of control, but... You know, the decisions we make don't affect um, – it's not Jurassic Park, you know. We don't 
we're not flapping our wings over here and then a tsunami comes in China or something like that. Um, not anything that lasts, not anything that history will record in any major way. They had political upheavals and all sorts of stuff back in Rome, and we're, we are only reading about some of them. Um, so the thing, that, the thing that we are to focus on is how we treat each other um, and how we treat yes. God. And, and so, you know, don't freak out. I think that's really kind of the, that's really kind of the message, I think, of Thessalonians. You know, be, be aware, but don't freak out. Um, which I think so many people are prone to do, and even more so right now. People are freaking out about what this all means for the future. People are getting stir-crazy. You know, it, we're not the tribulation force. You can't send somebody out to assassinate the, the devil, and then hopefully everything will smooth itself out. You know, what you can do is 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 love each other, you know, encourage those who are weaker and rebuke those who are over the top and... You know, yeah, that's that's what you can do. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. And and again, a lot of people within the church do the swing of the pendulum thing. Look, it's great for you to be excited about certain types of social injustice. It's great for you to uh, be excited about trying to uphold uh, the sanctity of God's word as it applies to how we affect the world outside of us. So, for example, you know if uh, people who are into trying to feed the hungry and, and uh, you know, care for, for uh, those outside of the church as a witness for Christ. Those are all good things. But if you go back to Scripture, Scripture is very clear that our primary responsibility as disciples of Christ is that we are to live as individuals who are filled with, uh, filled with uh, the, the Christ and that we are... Uh, active in the local body that Christ's work might be first of all seen in the in the body of believers as they function together that Christ might be glorified. Yeah, we don't need to be going off on all these pendulums uh, that uh, that people do. Okay, we're going to take up uh, the last part of uh, uh, Thessalonians uh, in two weeks. Um, but uh, let's go ahead and close this section, and uh, I'm just going to share one uh, what's up with that, and then we're going to get into submission. So one of the things that's going on with, uh, um, with the, uh, the, the COVID is that people are, um, uh, there's, there's kind of a fight that's going on between uh, should we open up now or should we not? Should we open up? Should we wait? Uh, should you know? Should we uh, continue uh, to have things closed down? And there's a balance, a really delicate balance that needs to be maintained. And I won't get into the complexity of it here, except to say that there are people that differ on how that's supposed to work. Governor Santos of uh, of um, uh, De Santos of uh, Florida has decided to open up parks and beaches, you know, uh, helping people understand that they still need to social distance. Including Disney it's good World? good for them to get out. Uh, I don't know if he's going that far. Uh, but certainly he opened up the beaches. All right. But there was somebody, there was an attorney that disagreed with him opening up the beaches. 
Not that, you know, he has any authority to disagree. Uh, he's not the governor. Nonetheless, uh, he's exercising his First Amendment rights and protesting, and the way he's doing that is he dressed up in a Grim Reaper suit outfit. So, you know, uh, all in black, sickle, and he spent a Saturday and Sunday walking up and down the beaches there in uh, in Florida and warning people that uh, death was coming to them. I love it personally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, like I said, what's up with that? I love it. All right. I think it's clever. So let's 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 talk about in uh, cultural uh, lunacy. Let's talk about uh, submission because we've been we've been skirting this for two weeks now, and we want to get back into this. So here's the deal with uh, here's the deal with submission, and uh, we've got 15 minutes to unwrap this a little bit, Josh. Um, we talked first of all, so let me just lay the groundwork by saying that God, in His in His Word, gives us an understanding of the roles that are played in relationship. So even when we look at the relationship of the Trinity, and we look at how it is that the Trinity functions, there are roles in which each the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit play. In the same way, when God set up his uh, family unit here on earth, he also set that up so that there be roles that are present so that the unit would not be chaotic in how it is that it functions. So when we talk about submission in Scripture, first and foremost, the definition of submission doesn't have to be that one is lesser than the other. And I think that there's difficulty sometimes with that definition which has been put out there by those who don't understand what biblical submission is. Biblical submission has nothing to do with the value of uh, men and women. It has nothing to do with one being better than the other. And I want to put that out there first and foremost, particularly for you men who love the idea of submission and that the little woman just needs to do what you tell her to do. And oftentimes we'll pervert that over to uh, how it is that they treat women in general. That's not the scriptural position. Uh, the scriptural position is that... Uh, all men and women created by God uh, are of value, but that the idea of submission, as we begin this discussion, has to do with the roles that are played by each of the uh, participants in the family unit. You want? Did I uh, describe that well enough, or you want to add to it, or what do you think, Josh? Yeah, I, I. I think that that's a well enough basic description. Um, the only thing, the only thing that I would add is I think that this is such a hard topic for people um, because man in general, um, so humankind, tends to want its value to come not from how God describes it, 
but instead from what it does. And so when you're talking about um, men and women um, and the roles may have had like a more traditional um, obvious outcome, you know, a man brings home the bacon, um, but a woman raises the children and, you know, raising the children is, is, a, is a marathon. It's not a sprint, you know, but bringing home the bacon, it, it basically is. It's a sprint. You know, you can see the paycheck. You can see the outworking of it. Uh, man tills the ground. You can see that, right? Tilling the children, rearing the children, um, taking care of the home, that is a marathon process. And so I think that um, we tend to think that we tend to have a category error in the way that we think about things. Um, as human beings in general, we tend to think that uh, what we do is what makes us. And because what we do is what makes us, the more obvious things that are done are what make us more obviously valuable. And then you add to it the fact that God has uh, a place for, that God designed the male gender specifically to be responsible in his submission structure um, in order to mirror his order. And you have right there the makings for somebody to really take it the wrong way and think that they are not only responsible but better because they're valuing their self based on, based on that. What's interesting is, um, you know, if people, if, if men and women both, but specifically if women understand the truth of that, then they have been able to function really well within a submission structure. And you, you go back to the first century church and you look at, uh, you know, the women like Mary and Martha, for instance, you, you look at the women in the church, um, and they they actually had a high value to Jesus, which he made very, very clear. It's really well known that Jesus really valued women um, just as much as he valued men in terms of their yeah. value. It had nothing to do with what they did. It had to do with how he saw them. And that wasn't specifically um, engendered to their gender. Uh, so I think that th that's one of the difficulties that we have as human beings where we want to make everything about what we do. And when you connect that with gender and how men are specifically capable, um, well, not capable so, so much, but uh, geared towards um, more obvious outcomes than, than women are. And then you add to it the fact that God uh, sets, sets those positions in play it, it it can be really really difficult for people to decipher yes yeah and and so uh, with that under general understanding of the word submission now we go into understanding that in God's design um, there is an authority structure and we talked about that coming from Genesis where we see that God created man and then uh, out of man's need, to be completed, he created women, and and then out of the uh, out of the uh, unity that existed uh, between men and women, um, a family unit was formed, and children come about uh, because of that. So when we look at scripture, we see that there's a specific structure, an authority structure that exists. So God first, man next, 
uh, women next, children next, uh, the dog next, the cat after the dog, and then uh, goldfish is way down at the bottom. Okay. <laughs> yes, God, but, man, but, but animals for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're we're only dealing we're, we're only dealing with the uh, the the upper echelon of of the uh, of the tree right now. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So we won't get into dogs and cats and goldfish and all the other things. Um, <laughs> so when it, when specifically it comes to men and women, then when we go to scripture, we see that um, scripture uh, gives us an understanding of how it is that we are to interact with each other in the body of Christ as disciples of Christ, uh, emulating uh, and that understanding of God's design into how it is that we are to function. Right. So there's a couple of different places where we can start out. And um, one, a good place to start out, uh, there are several New Testament scriptures. We'll go through maybe three of them. But there are several New Testament scriptures that allude to this idea of submission. So there's, for example, Titus. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. So older women likewise are to be uh, reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, uh, teaching what is good, uh, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible workers, uh, kind, uh, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. And we're going to start there because here we have uh, the Apostle Paul uh, giving guidance to Titus as to what is, uh, how older women are to conduct themselves inside of the church. And he starts out by indicating that uh, he, so he lists these uh, things and we won't unpack all of those, but he lists all of these things and then he says that uh, that young women, so young women are to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. So, so first of all, God's word sets up in this structure an understanding, uh, again, going back to what we stated earlier, that, that women hold the same value that men hold. But God has a specific authority structure, and that means that when a woman, when when a man and woman come together, and the the man is to separate himself from his mother and father, and he takes a wife, the wife moves from being under the authority of her husband uh, of her father. To being under the authority of her husband, and so a, a the subjection structure, the submission structure that exists when we look at scripture is to understand that not all women are subject to men. That's not what's being said. What's being said is that my wife is subject to my authority. So, so let's start how, with how that. Do you, how do you 
that's a hard how do you unpack that because I, I i don't think i guess i don't see how that wouldn't be the case i think if it i think you might you can correct me if i'm wrong but i think you might be trying to say that um a woman isn't hmm that a man who is not connected to a woman shouldn't be able to freely um dominate her but but i also hear you saying that the bible affirms that a woman is always connected to a man and is always submissive well what scripture indicates is that the so when a woman grows up and she's a part of a she's a part of a family unit that the 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 girl is subject to the authority of her parents her her father being the the head of the of the family unit. Yeah, I understand. Uh, but uh, with me so far. So yeah, then that's my question. Yeah. Go ahead. So okay. So then when she uh, be, when she marries, she moves from being under the authority of her father to being under the authority of her husband. Uh, okay with me so far look i'm not not with you i just i i think that you said something in a sloppy way and i'm giving you the chance to to uh focus on it so my question was specifically well, okay. so I'm, 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 I'm trying to be clear here that staying within the the guideline of scripture uh, and this is the point that I was making that maybe you think I'm being sloppy, although I don't, I don't think I am. What I'm saying okay, is... Okay, let's get to that point that, then. That what I'm saying is, is that you as a man are not superior to all women, and all women do not have to bow to your authority. Well, I think... I think that there's a normative okay so I think that there's we've already taken painstaking time to establish that the normative concept of submission in scripture has nothing to do with superiority so being superior to a woman doesn't really play into the conversation I think what you're talking about is authority you're trying to say that just because you're a man you don't have authority over all women that is correct. Okay, so superiority has nothing to do with it. Um, well, the reason the reason why I emphasize that point, Josh, is because my experience in dealing with many individuals over the twenty or thirty plus years I've been in ministry is that there are really men out there who, in fact, there are even whole churches that are designed with the idea that all women have to be subject to all men regardless because they are men i i guess i don't understand what the problem with that would be providing that everything is working correctly within the submission structure well okay it's it, simply this so so, within... so brothers to so think of it as this we're brothers and sisters in christ right within that so if you right. had brothers and sisters in christ uh, you know, let's let's even say that it's a younger brother and an older sister, like you know they're a year apart or whatever. Would you say that there was and and it was uh, those two say on a deserted island, right? 
Would you say that the brother has a responsibility to be the protector of the older sister and to make decisions for their grouping? Uh, not necessarily. Do you think that that, do you think that that, um, could be that that position could be made from scripture though? You think that the brother could be held accountable before God for, you know, being, um, you know, for, for not taking the leadership responsibility as the male in their relationship. Wow. So this is what I'm talking about. When you make universal statements like that, that's not I, a hypothetical. Well, that's, that's it's not, it's not, not a hypothetical. But it's 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 not a it's not a hypothetical. It's not a hypothetical because within the church, what we have are brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And that is being brothers and sisters in Christ supersedes all relationships. Well, there are right, but there are um, very real distinctions that have to be made in regard to the maturity and age of the individuals which are involved. And and so you would have to... I don't think that you can just arbitrarily say that the woman has to be subject to the man's authority. Yeah, I don't think you can arbitrarily say anything. Um, I, think Lucy that, Brown... I think that what you would have to do is say, uh, is there no other... So is there no is there no other male structure present on your island that the that the woman um, can rely upon to be uh, for her to be uh, protected by? So Lucy Brown comments: Women are not in subjection to any man unless it is your husband. This does not negate the subjection to authority, which is mandated by Scripture. So yeah, well that's that's basically the point that Pastor Monty is making, except for. Uh, Pastor Monty adds your father, but let's, but, but that last statement you made, this does not negate the subjection to authority, which is mandated by scripture. So then can a pastor who has spiritual authority, um, speak into the relationship, uh, between a husband and a wife and with, with biblical authority? See, this is, this is what I'm talking about. There's more to unpack here. No, the pastor has a different uh, type of authority. So in regard to the husband and wife, the woman is under the authority of her husband, and she is subject only to her husband unless unless it has to do with... Uh, oh, I want to spit the word out, but I can't say it. Um, you know, unless it has to do with matters of the church of which the husband and wife are to be submissive to the leadership put into place by God. So what does matters of the church entail? This is good. So because if the husband this is good and wife are I... in sin? Yeah. Okay. Let's say that the husband That's what I'm wife, looking for. Let's say the husband and wife... Okay, let's say that the husband, here's a, a outlandish uh, hypothetical. All right. Maybe not so. But let's say that the husband and wife are a family unit. The wife understands that she is to be submissive to her husband, and her husband decides that, uh, that they need to be swingers. Interesting. And so they decide. In that this day and age, I don't know that wife, that's too crazy. 
in this day and age. But. Yeah, so the husband decides that, you know, it's okay for them to go to swinger parties and to uh, fornicate whoever happens to be around uh, because that's what he wants to do. Right. The pastor definitely has the ecclesiastical, there it is, the ecclesiastical authority to speak into that and say, you are in violation of Scripture, and, and in that case, uh, would have to deal with that. And I think that that is an important, and I'm glad you brought that up, I don't know about the swinger part, but I'm glad you, <laughs> I'm glad that you uh, you brought that up because that's what I'm talking about. Where I don't want to be sloppy and just making unilateral statements. So, yeah, there's a category error that uh, a lot of men, and then specifically a lot of um, a, a lot of men and uh, pastors, I guess, or churches will sometimes make in regard to what ecclesiastical authority is. No pastor um, has the right to dictate um, to dictate the let's call it um, orthopraxy. They have no right to dictate the orthopraxy of an individual's life. So they don't have the right to dictate how yeah. a person goes about their faith unless the scripture speaks specifically of that. So there are certain things where you know this, it, where the scripture says, "Nope, you can't do that." Then a pastor has the right to speak on that. But a pastor, so basically, let's let's call it boundaries. What a pastor's job is is to is to make sure that within the fence of scripture that people are safe, um, and to feed them and so on and so forth. But he doesn't dictate how they live their life within that fence. When they approach the fence. And they start, you know, chipping away at it or jumping over it. Then the pastor can say, "Wait a second, here's the fence. You need to get back in." And the sheep decides what it wants to do. Um, so that's it's a category error when somebody says, "Because I am a leader, if I'm a man, and because I'm a leader, I have the right to decide how things happen within that fencing." The truth is, is that in the marriage relationship. The marriage relationship, which is uh, headed by the husband, the husband is supposed to decide, according to Scripture, how you go about living your faith within that fencing. Um, and so, yeah, 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 yeah. a pastor can't speak several, into that. Go ahead. There are several cult groups. Well, there are several cult groups that have walked over that line. Uh, for example, the Oneida cult back in... Uh, um, you know, back in uh, the East Coast and and uh, um, the Jim Jones cult and Wake several up. other cults. That, yeah, right. And, and several other cults where the leader said, because I'm the spiritual leader, I supersede the husband's authority and I can have sex with your wife. Right. And that's like, now. Right. That's no. not so that's let's be clear that's that's what that's not what's being said. That being said, that doesn't mean that as men in the church we don't have a responsibility uh to follow the model of care uh to maintain those lines. That's the thing is if you look at who Christ is, Christ is priest, prophet, and king. He's all of those things together. So not only does he maintain the minutia of things, the small things within the within the, the within the um, shepherd's gate of care, but he also maintains the actual fence itself. And so, 
God sets up the family unit to take care of to take care of um, the family units basically within that shepherd's gate, but but the men also have a responsibility to um, encourage that process. And so, let me ask you this question: Would you say that? So I go back to the brother sister analogy. Would you say that the brother has a responsibility to maintain the gate of care? He has a responsibility to maintain the the um, the uh, submission structure within the family too. So, in other words, if his sister, just, just because he's a man, yes. So, 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 for instance, uh, um, if his sister steps out of line, then it's his responsibility to gently gently point out to her the submission structure you know steps out of line with the with the father see i don't yeah no i i don't i don't think i would go that far what you're telling me is 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 or in your in your hypothetical what you're saying is mm -hmm. is that somehow because there's no other authority structure that exists that in a brother in the case of a brother and sister the woman then must submit herself to the only man or her brother because because he's there well i didn't say that um, I, I, I for the record i i don't know that i agree with that. for the I record i didn't because there I, I i i didn't say that what i said was is that the brother has a responsibility before god to maintain those structures i didn't say that the woman has to subject herself to it. I said that the man is responsible before God to do that. So the man is responsible to take care of the woman and the submission structure. Anything basically within the submission structure, the man is responsible to take care of, regardless of if he's married to her or or not. No, I would I would say within that circumstance that the since they are brothers and sisters, that they would need to negotiate. Uh, how it is that they were to uh, function within the roles uh, that uh, exist in order for there to be uh, harmony in how it is that they live things out. Well, I I don't hear I don't I don't hear any difference between that and the marriage relationship between husband and wife. Let me read a couple comments though. Uh, so Lucy Brown says this is true. Well, I, I yeah, uh, can I read a couple comments? Go ahead. Okay, so Lucy Brown says this is yes, true. Go ahead. Lucy Brown says, this is true. However, this should be a matter of great care and caution. Least a vulnerable and weak person may fall into temptation. I assume she's talking about my comment about men, but I don't know. And then Heidi Parker says, does it have any connection to why brothers are to step into protection and marriage with their brother's widow? Um, anyway, you can continue your thought. What were you going to say before I started reading this? I was just going to say that you know I don't I I don't think what what we're talking about is that God has put into place a structure specifically related to interaction between um, passing on from a a, uh, a a a family unit where the patriarch is responsible for the protection of those in within his family. Once a, a girl steps out of the protection of her father, she then comes under the protection of her husband, and she and, and so if she's outside of that, then society has to 
deal with that. And we can talk a little bit about that complexity if you want next week, because when Jesus was asked about the issue of divorce, Jesus responded that that's not in God's, you know, paraphrasing, sure. that's not God's design, but he allowed it so that uh, the woman might be offered protection within society because a woman without a father and without a husband in Jewish society was considered unprotected. Right. I don't see how that negates what I'm saying. Um, but that being said, yeah, if we can, maybe we well, should. State to me clearly what you're saying, because I'm not sure that I agree. Right. No, I gather that. Um, I am saying that there is a standard set for men in how they treat women. It is it is apexed in being a husband. Um, the cate yeah. categorically it connects to being uh, to the threefold office of priest, prophet, and king, and it has nothing to do with whether you're married or not. I am not say I am not saying that the outworking of that denies the father relationship. Um, or, or or supersedes the father relationship, that it supersedes the marriage relationship. Um, what I'm saying is that every man has a responsibility to act um, in in that basic way with every woman. So those specific relationships. Okay. Well, we can. Right. Okay. So I'm I'm not I don't necessarily disagree with that. That's a little bit on a different level, though. And so what I think we'll need to do is let's pick that up as the point that we begin to continue to unpack the issue of submission. As you can tell, it's a large issue yeah. and not understood by many. So let's go ahead and close our time together with that, and we will pick back up next week uh, at that point. Well, and can I – so the reason why I think it's an important issue is because specifically society – um, has been working to reshape, um, you know, for better or for worse, you decide, but it has been looking to reshape what it means to be a man and, um, and then letting, and, and a woman, but it has been really working very hard to redefine what it means to be a man. And so as we look at the models of um, relationship, uh, both in how they outwork, like the submission structure, and in the roles that are within that, I think, you know, how do we teach our young men to be men before God? And that includes their relationship with the women in the church. And so we're going to be talking about submission, um, whether in marriage or not. And so I just think it deserves a bigger discussion. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with that. There's no question that the, that, that what constitutes a man is uh, under attack, and uh, and society is seeking to redefine that. So yeah, let's pick up our discussion uh, next week uh, at that point and move forward. All right. Uh, before we close it, let's just give Lucy Brown her one comment. She says, "Godly man ought to usher a sister towards subjection to God as her protector and guardian." Um, that is a good place to. Uh, yeah, we can start the discussion with those points. And um, Heidi's question earlier, we can just kind of move in that direction. But 
as you can see, there's a lot to learn about here and there's a lot to discuss and discussion is good. That's how we understand um, who we are before God and how to play that out. And if you're somebody who's seeking answers or you want to know more about your faith, and if you're new to Jesus Christ or the Bible, we'd like to help you. So please check out the help tab at abfpdx.org. And remember that we're always open to these sorts of questions. Uh, we may not have immediate answers and we may even have disagreements about it, but Pastor Monty is ready and he's waiting to deliver some sage advice and insight. So don't be shy about that. Uh, we'll close out the show. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon. It's a webcast on the Vigilance Radio Network, a resource developed by Project Vigilance, ABF's web portal that provides helpful and interesting online resources for the church local and at large. And if you want to be a part of the VRN and what we're doing here, you can join the Vigilance Radio Network's Facebook page to get access to all of our shows, including Culture and Sanity, um, this Saturday, our kids shows like Wake Up Cadre and the Bible with Pastor Adam, our weekly sermon, Nightlight Radio, which is on this Thursday. Uh, speaking of which, hey, if you got things you want us to talk about on Nightlight Radio, let us know. Last week we talked about suicide and we talked about, uh, what else? And, uh, nightmares. Yeah, suicide and nightmares. So if you got something you want us to talk about, let us know. Uh, just, you know, check out. Uh, our Facebook page and uh, submit something. If you've enjoyed Truth Time, consider supporting us. Our network and shows are free to you, but they are not free to us. So head over to abfpdx.org and click the donate tab. Even a $1 a month would be put to good use for the gospel. And if you're poor like us, that's cool too. You can partner with us by remembering to like, subscribe, and share our podcast, which you can always find on ABF's YouTube page, Instagram, and Facebook, and the VRN Facebook group. So take a second to visit the group page so that you can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week. And remember that content is shared on Tuesdays whew, at 11 a.m. We'll see you then. I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network.